Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott dodged the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 149 of Press Pass. Kayla Anderson here alongside my host, my co-host, Joshua Perry. And it is a really exciting week because we just learned what teams would be in the college football playoff. While I would have loved to have seen Ohio State, Joshua, and I know you would have liked to have seen that too, I want to ask you your initial thoughts on how the committee did, obviously putting Alabama in that one spot after defeating Georgia in the SEC championship, Michigan number two after annihilating Iowa in the Big Ten championship, uh, Cincinnati at four, Georgia at three. What are your thoughts, my friend? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm being completely honest – I don't see a reason why Michigan shouldn't have had the number one spot. Yeah. Um, just the way that they had played toward the end of the year, they were extremely consistent. You look at their singular loss to Michigan state and you can point to um, that. That's a game that they definitely let get away from them, but there were also some questionable moments in that game in terms of officiating some, I mean, one of the calls took a, a Michigan score off of the board. Um, and, and, and I think it's a stronger loss than the loss that Alabama had to Texas A&M, who was barely in the top 25. Like, Michigan State's a 10-win team. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you look at some of the performances as well, and Michigan had some close ones early that shouldn't have been that close. But toward the end of the year, I think they really started showing how complete and how dominant of a team they could be. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that they beat Ohio State soundly, which Ohio State's a 10-win team, and the way that they beat Iowa soundly, which Ohio Iowa is a 10-win team as well. Um, And I knew they were going to get zero style points for that win because I was just not a sexy brand, but like that was an emphatic win over a team with a great defense. And that had 10 wins on the season. Um, When you look at Alabama, I mentioned their loss. And then um, I think that they have a tougher sec schedule than Georgia does, but there were some moments, uh, especially in their rivalry game, for example, that went to four overtimes against an Auburn team that was on their second quarterback who was gimping around. And uh, you know, just, it wasn't a great look. And they beat Georgia soundly. But I also would point to the fact that, um, you know, Georgia had been dominant this year, but also, like, who who was their, their toughest game? Who was right. their best win? Like, they, they beat Clemson, um, who is not the Clemson that we're used to seeing. No. And outside of that, they played Vanderbilt and South Carolina and Georgia Tech and Samford and Missouri and Florida, who was down. And just a bunch of teams that are, like, they – I mean, Kentucky – finished second in in their division like and and they were a a great story but that's not an elite football team um so if I were to do it I would have had Michigan one Alabama two Georgia three and Cincinnati at number four Mm -hmm. um and to be completely honest you could you could make the argument about the Cincinnati Georgia thing as well Sure. All of that to say, I'm I'm glad that these are the four teams because that was pretty open and closed. They didn't mess it up by leaving Cincinnati out. And frankly, I think these will be two really good um, semifinal games. I, I think they're going to be really enjoyable. Yeah. 
Well, that's, I think, how I looked at it was when it all was said and done, I think the way that they wanted to match these teams up. Yep. Don't you think that that played into it? Because, of course, you know, now we're going to have an Alabama versus Cincy, the one and four, and a Michigan versus Georgia, the two and three. So I feel like that, in a way, was probably a good setup. Yeah, um, I guess my biggest gripe, though, mm-hmm. is – um, if, if they're going to choose the matchups like this, mm-hmm. and I guess this has been a, a gripe that a lot of people have had, then you need to call it an invitational. I don't disagree with And you. not a playoff because uh, absolutely, it's hard for me to say that if you believe that Michigan should be the number one team, then you can't just throw them in there at two. And it's inconsequential, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't just throw them in there at two so you avoid a rematch in the semifinal. I know. Like, just say you want to pick the matchup. Say we're not ready to see that rematch. Say we want right. to see some different games. I'm fine with it. But don't pass it off as saying, well, Alabama is clearly this, yes. you know, number one team when I don't think it was that clear. Yes. And, and I, again, when you mentioned how you thought Michigan had a good kind of argument for being the top seed, I wouldn't disagree with you on that either. I talked about that on radio actually this week how I said you know Michigan certainly could have had that top spot but when it comes down to it I really do think that the matchups played into it and and again if that's the case then that this should be called something different when they first put out this top four that's it so but I think these matchups are going to be phenomenal though is there any way and I, I know that you know you have to slay the giant for them not to be the giant anymore. And unfortunately, Georgia wasn't able to slay the giant. And so now Alabama is back in that top spot. And I think a lot of people aren't even giving Cincinnati a, a chance to, to beat this team because it's Nick Saban, because it's, you know, the, the program that is just destined for greatness. So do you feel like Luke Fickle will have a game plan that can test Alabama enough to maybe get the upset? Yeah, I think Alabama's uh, defense has been shaky at times. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Luke Fickle can gain an edge because Desmond Ritter is a very good quarterback and Alabama has struggled with teams that have um, dynamic quarterbacks. And uh, so I think they can find creative ways to make sure that he is a focal point of the game plan. Desmond Ritter is a guy who obviously throws it really well, but he is a very good athlete. And so he can run it. And uh, Cincinnati has done a good job of getting multiple pieces involved within their offense mm-hmm. um, defensively they're going to have their hands full and and Bryce Young who we're going to talk about here later in the show is extremely good and, and Saturday was a, the first time I got to watch him yeah. in extended action live I've watched kind of the game tape mm-hmm. and it's been he was very very impressive and so yeah. as I evaluate Cincinnati's chances Luke Fickle is going to have to be that defensive coach that he is Sure. And they're going to have to have answers for a guy like Jamison Williams who can run past any defense. And, you know, they, they probably they're lucky that John Mechie's injury wasn't, you know, something that was minor. And it's unfortunate yeah. that he can't play in that game. But if you're Cincinnati, you're probably breathing a sigh of relief in a way yep. uh, because it, it, it hampers. One last um, weapon. Yeah. And, and so it, it'll be unique. I don't think this is as... Um, I don't think this one's as easy to call as some people nationally are trying to make it seem. There's a reason Cincinnati was able to run the table this year and they beat a good Notre Dame team. Yeah, very well said. And and when you talk about the number two and three, Michigan versus Georgia, 
again, we don't really know now, was this Georgia defense as, as much as historically the numbers are incredible when it's all said and done? Is it really as good of a defense as we thought it was? I don't know, but it's not like they're going up against this prolific Michigan offense. Yes. Right? Right. And so this is the interesting thing, just from my initial breakdown of this game, which I will actually not be on Big Ten Network's coverage of this game. I'm going to be on the coverage of the Rose Bowl. Oh, Um, okay. And so I I low-key wanted to go to Miami um, because, you know, it's Miami. and Sure. Yeah, you know, be a fun way to spend New Year's. But I agree. This will be my third Rose Bowl in four years, which I I think is also um, there's something to be said about that and how special that game is. Anyway, getting into the details here, Georgia's defense got exposed in the fact that they could not keep up with really fast weapons, and um they're going back and looking at them they actually struggled against I believe it was Tennessee with a similar thing but the Tennessee quarterback play was not what Alabama's quarterback play was correct and that was the difference for them is they caught some breaks just because the other team couldn't make the plays but the secondary struggled and they were playing from behind as well which is absolutely not a situation where they want to be because their offensive tackles struggle yep. in terms of pass pro against elite rushers, which yep. Alabama's got some guys who can get after the quarterback. You flip that over, how does that translate for Michigan? Michigan got off to a fast lead against Iowa. They came out very creative. Playbook was wide-ass open. They knew that they wanted to, to come out swinging early and often. They wanted style points in that game. And what that allowed them to do was to put their pass rushers in Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo into a situation where they could just pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. Right. And so if you're Georgia, the thing that you would have to guard against is Michigan getting out to a, a, a 10 point yes. or a 14 point lead yes. early on in that game to where you feel like you have to play catch up because that plays right into what they want to do as a team. Right. No, that that's a great point. And I really am interested to see this matchup just because I, I mean, I do think Michigan is playing really good football. I think that they have, you know, belief in themselves right now. Uh, Georgia knocked down a little bit, but then again, you know, you would think if you're a team that has been dominant all season, you're going to try to find a way to get back to that. But then again, I don't know about, you know, Kirby is always one of those coaches where I feel like he gets his team to the highest level that you think that they can get to, and then they kind of disappoint. And I don't know in terms of like coaching, who's going to have the better game plan in this. I just don't. Cause it's two coaches that I, I feel like are good coaches, but when it comes down to like getting the job done, it's not always something that they've been able to do. Yeah. I mean, we're looking so. at a couple of coaches that have, um, you know, Kirby's probably had more success on paper and sure. make playoff this end. But, sure. you know, we're really looking at a couple coaches with a lot of 10-win seasons and no yes. championships. Yes, And exactly. so that'll come to a head. Um, as I break down the rosters, Georgia is a more explosive overall team. Yes. Um, I would take – I would take Michigan's offensive line. I would take Michigan's quarterback. I would probably take Michigan's running backs. Okay. I would take Georgia's wide receivers. Mm -hmm. I would take, it's, it's really, I would take 
this is wild. I would take Michigan's edge rushers, Georgia's interior defensive line, Georgia's linebackers. And it's a little bit of a wash on the secondary. Like Michigan's secondary has really come on, but I'm not exactly sure. Like against Ohio State, they gave up a ton of passing. Yards. Yeah. Um, and Georgia, we've seen them play really well, but against a team like Alabama, they they truly did get exposed. So I'd say it's a wash there. So like it's it's a it's a pretty even matchup. Like it really is. You know, they're they're each team has their pluses and their minuses. The one question I do want to ask is, you know, you didn't see the greatest showing from a guy that we know is not elite quarterback, but has been a game manager, and that's Stetson Bennett. Is this a game where they start JT Daniels, or do they stick with what they've been going with? I personally believe that this is a game where you got to go with what you know. Yeah. And the hardest part about this is it's it's a it's a big gamble. Yeah. Um, but you can't have either one of those quarterbacks going into this game feeling like they're not the guy. Right. Like when they walk into that stadium on game day, they have to feel like they can play loose and free and there's there's yep. no looking over their shoulder. There's no worrying about substitutions. As a coach, you might have to make the tough call, but the players cannot feel that. No. Um, and if you if you look at the way that Michigan is constructed defensively, I don't necessarily think it takes an elite quarterback to beat sure. them. Sure. But I think it takes a, a very well-rounded offense to beat them. Yes. And and I think you're right about though having everyone mentally coming in prepared to feel like they're they're the starter. And I'm specifically obviously talking about the quarterbacks. And that's why I do think coaching plays so much into this matchup. So It'll be an interesting to watch one to watch at that. So let's move on. Speaking of coaches, Joshua, I mean, we talked about some of the moves last week. Some of them were made official, and then there were some new moves. It's just I talked to you about this before we started recording. I mean, it's the Wild West at a whole different level now when it comes to changes in coaches you know, when they're changing coaches, how long coaches are even staying in one program. It just seems like a free for all. And we had talked about the LSU hire. They made it official last week with Brian Kelly. So I have to ask you, first of all, a weird way you feel like to, to leave Notre Dame when it seems like so many were shocked. And then what do you think about the fit? I mean, you look at the two other coaches prior to this, um, in Ed Orgeron and Les Miles, there was just some sort of a fit to the bayou. And I don't really know if if Brian Kelly faking an accent is enough mm. to be a fit. Yeah, the, the fake accent thing was just right? absolutely nuts. And I laughed about that so freaking hard because, like, you know, he's, Brian Kelly has really started to um, expose himself nationally as a guy who is uh, – a, a, an acquired taste correct right? um fake accent was just like used car salesman level yes. of terribleness um the the fit thing is is super interesting to me because nick saban went there he did he's a guy mm -hmm. who uh played college ball in the state of ohio he was coming from michigan state midwest yep. guy by all accounts yep. he fit in fine there because he won games Les Miles was a Michigan man. He went to the University of Michigan. Um, by all accounts, he fit in there until he stopped losing games. And then Ed Orgeron obviously was the Bayou guy, the Cajun dude. And 
he definitely lost his fit when, when all the crazy stuff was starting to happen with him. Yep. And so I think for Brian Kelly, the, the success that he has on the field is, is going to determine what type of quote unquote culture fit that he is. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a fan base that embraced all three of those coaches. That's fan base, frankly, that turned Joe Burrow into a, uh, a, a Bayou guy. That's you true. know, with the with the the Borough Senior Day jersey and everything, Good point. and that's an Ohio kid. So they're they're willing to embrace somebody who can yeah. lead them to the promised land. Yeah, I like I like that point that you that you make there because and give some credit to as crazy as those fans are. I mean, what an incredible football culture that is. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's surprising, and I, I think overall when you look at a guy who has the potential to get the job done with so many more opportunities for recruiting and not having to technically worry about the academics as much. I think that that opens up the door a little more for Brian Kelly, who I don't really think he's my cup of tea, but I, I can't argue that he's not a good coach. Yeah. And I'll make this point too, because I think it's really important to say is Brian Kelly's biggest, I think, struggle at a place like Notre Dame was recruiting great skill. Correct. Because we've seen at, you know, some of these academic institutions, you can get good linebacker play. You can get yeah. good offensive linemen. Um, and he's yes. No, seriously. And, yeah. and, and it's the same thing at some of these like mid level, you know, like Wisconsin, Iowa kind of developmental right. programs, you can get those, that type of play. And Brian Kelly has been able to produce, first, second, third round picks at those positions specifically. Yep. It, when it comes down to the elite wide receivers or the elite defensive backs, yep. um, you know, the, the guys who really complete the team and get yeah. you the explosive plays, that's where he's struggled. And so I'm curious to see if he can have a recruiting edge at LSU in getting that yeah. type of player um, because the track record exists in terms of producing great talent for those other positions. But I, those aren't the guys who are winning you national titles. You need great quarterbacks. Yeah. You need great skill players. Well, he's going to get you know a chance to do it. Now, whether or not he can bring them back to the national championship level, we'll have to wait and see. But he has no excuse not to, Joshua. That's, that's my whole thing. You're going to take a job like this, know that all the pressure that's going to come with you because they expect a natty. Oh, 100%. Oh. There's, I mean, th- this is it. Like, there's one expectation there. It's like a lot of, it's like my fan base, uh, you know, places I play ball. It's like yeah. uh, some of these other institutions like Alabama, you got to win national title. Exactly. Well, the guy that took over at Notre Dame, I really was happy about this hire, especially after kind of the turmoil that these kids seem to have faced. I mean, they didn't know this was happening. They, they really legitimately, I don't feel like knew at least at this point he was going to leave because they technically still had a chance to maybe even be in the college football playoff when he left. And so they decided to elevate defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman. And I know Marcus Freeman, you're probably familiar with him. I mean, he's got a ton of of coaching ties to Ohio. Yes. And he's a guy who played Linebacker at Ohio State and then yeah. came back after a, a short NFL career. It was ended by some injuries and was a, a, a GA under um, Luke Fickle yep. at Ohio State. And, and he was a GA while I was being recruited. And so I got to know him pretty well from all the time I spent on campus. And, yeah. and you could tell he was sharp as hell at that point. And he had coached in the Big Ten at Purdue under Daryl Hazel, who um, mm-hmm. Daryl Hazel was an Ohio State assistant. And so... Um, you know, he's got Midwest ties and he understands 
this area. He was at Cincinnati with Luke Fickle as his defensive coordinator before leveling up to Notre Dame and becoming DC there. And Brian Kelly had mentioned that uh, Marcus Freeman was going to be the next head coach of Notre Dame. Like he, they basically wow. brought him in as coach and waiting. Wow. Um, yeah. The wow is that he is a young black guy who just fast tracked himself yep. into one of the greatest jobs in college football. And th- this is the main reason why he got that job is because the players pushed for it. Yep. The recruits pushed for it. The former players pushed for it. And the the uh, the donors and the alums were all in on it. He's that type of guy where yep. he earned the hearts of Notre Dame fans everywhere um, just from being genuine. And he's keeping a lot of his staff that Brian Kelly had. So there's going to be a ton of continuity. He can step right in and be successful. I love it. I just, I'm all for, first of all, I'm all for something new and something fresh. You know, my standpoint or my, you know, um, my point of view on all of that, whatever it is in life, I like there to be a little bit of freshness and especially in college football. Um, I really just loved though, the honest energy and passion he brings for the game. And you were clearly able to see that in, in the, the video that went viral um, on Twitter and just, you know, how excited his players were for him and just how excited he was. You just can't fake something like that, right? Like that's just, genuine excitement for what he does yes no i mean it's 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 a um he is a guy who is what we should want college football to look like right now if that makes sense he's young he's energetic he gives a damn about players like family man the whole deal it's 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 really good well a situation that is not good and that I have not been happy with how it's all played out is down in Miami. And we spoke last week about just the possibility of a guy like maybe Lane Kiffin going to Miami and and bringing it back to what it was and how great that would be. But we knew at the time um, that Manny Diaz was still there. He had not been fired yet. There is, there had not been anything out about him you know, being fired. And then obviously Lane signed a, a, a extension at Old Miss last week. But then we start hearing all this stuff about Mario Cristobal, who is, you know, from that area, obviously. Yeah. He, uh, I think he won two national titles yeah. there as a player and he was a GA and a, I think a position coach and everything. And that's fine. And I'm fine with like eventually going back to where you're from. I, I, be, I believe that that's like something that some of us do in life, right? Uh, it comes full circle. But at the same time, the way that Miami like handled this situation by not just telling Manny Diaz, like, we're going to fire you, right? Like at some point, like before two days before whatever it was, like they needed to have this ready to go ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, this all just happened within a matter of a day where they fired Diaz and they hired Cristobal and everyone's like, how did this happen? Yeah. I mean, it was a, it's a disaster, in my opinion. So the disaster is that apparently these conversations have been happening behind closed doors for so long with uh, Mario that Oregon understood what was happening. So they extended him a, uh, a, wow. a new contract and, uh, you know, obviously increased money and, and a longer term and some stability. And like they knew, everybody knew. And, and it was like people are tweeting about Mario Cristobal yeah. is potentially going 
to Miami while Manny Diaz is on the road trying yeah. to close out the recruiting class. Yep. Um, and what's really unique is this discourse that happens on Twitter because I'm the guy who likes to read the replies, right? And so you start looking through and people are like, well, I don't feel mad. I don't feel bad for Manny Diaz because of what he did to Temple. And if you remember, he was the defensive coordinator at Miami. He accepted the Temple job and then turned around like two weeks later and went back to Miami for their head coaching job when Rick decided he was done there. Um, and so it, it was like, it was definitely, it was definitely crappy. Yeah. And I feel bad for the the kids that went to Temple and everything that kind of had to go through a couple of transitions all at once. But this is, you know, that's, that's an opportunity that he wasn't going to turn down. Right. Manny Diaz, the Miami guy, his dad was the freaking mayor of Miami. I like know. this was a job that he would want. And if you're going to fire him from the job, that is absolutely fine. That's one thing. But what you shouldn't do is be openly flirting and negotiating with the next guy while that guy's out on the road recruiting. No. Like that, it's just so unprofessional. It really is. Oh my God. And, and like, I can't be mad at, 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 at Mario uh, for doing what he did. Like he's just trying to get the job he wants. Well, yeah. But like from a, a university standpoint, I'd also be looking at them with a side eye. Like, why are we treating our guy like this? And that's what I think we've we've gotten so far away from now in terms of college football and, and the coaching carousel. And just it, it seems so nonchalant about how we treat, you know, people now. It's just it's almost just like, OK, well, you're garbage. We're going to throw you out in the trash. We're not going to give you a heads up. We're not going to be transparent. My whole thing in life is like, just be transparent, right? I mean, it's it. things are going to come up that aren't going to be comfortable and things are going to come up where maybe this is not the way you planned it to go. But when it's all said and done, just be transparent and try to communicate ahead of time so that this kind of crap doesn't happen. Right. It just, it just makes everything look bad for that program. And, and I don't dislike Miami, but the way that this went down, I kind of like hold it against them a little. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's just, it's a really unique situation for me. And then, you know, we were talking offline about some of the other stuff around it. Like there was a report that, uh, you know, Miami basically found the extra funds to pay the buyout to Oregon yeah. and then to pay the buyout to Diaz through their hospital system, because they're, you know, first off, the American healthcare system just cleans up on money. But second off, like we also went through a year of a freaking pandemic where yep. hospitals were totally packed. Yep. Um, and that to me is, is super just, it, it, it just, it doesn't feel right. No. And then you were telling me something about how they were trying to instruct the media to handle this situation. Yeah. They were pretty much saying, don't ask, you know, Mario Cristobal or don't ask the athletic director the process of how he got here. Why I'm, not? I'm sorry. Excuse me. That's not the way things work. Yeah. And if you're going to be the, the program that decides to do things the way you did, then you best be stepping up and at least, you know, taking ownership of what your actions were. Yeah. That's a bunch of bull. Yeah. So I was not happy to see that today. I was like, give me a break. Um, okay, I'm trying to think if there was any more coaching moves because there's been so many. Uh, any more that you thought of that we should touch on before um, we move on? 
I feel like those are the big time ones. And of course, somebody's going to send us a tweet and tell us we're dummies because we forgot one. Well, um, I know Venables went to Oklahoma. Yes, to Oklahoma. Right. Uh, he's Venables. just got creepy yeah. eyes, man. Ew, he kind of creeps me yeah. out. Yeah. What yeah. is it about him that I it's, just like? It's don't... his eyes, and he's got like really strong, like a strong yeah. jawline. And he like, kind of scares me. Very sharp features. Um, yeah, yeah. So. I feel like that was something we had all predicted that he was going to do that. Um, I don't know if this was last week, if we had talked about this, but uh, Brent Pry, who was um, Penn State's defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and he had been with James Franklin from Vanderbilt all the way up through, took the uh, Virginia Tech job. Yeah. So now Penn State is in the market for a new DC. That's um, right. So that's a it's it's big for Virginia Tech because I think he's a sharp sharp coach. Uh, but it's big for Penn State because their defense has been the most solid part of their program, I think, for the last handful of years. Yeah, no, that's it. When I remember you brought that up, so now that that is official, so yeah, um, yeah, I think that's all the ones that that have happened. But my goodness, I'm sure there'll be more. Obviously, Oregon's going to have to hire somebody. So well, and so let's talk about this for a quick sec. If you're Clemson and yeah. you lose Brett Venables, who was your guy, uh-huh. like he was the guy. And you're probably losing your athletic director too. Correct. Um, Like this is the first time we've really seen this program have to go through wholesale changes in a while. Yes, it is. And it makes me wonder coming off of a season like this. Yep. Where Dabo, you know. Because the the defense was the one thing holding that, that season together for Clemson. I know. If we're being totally honest. So you do kind of wonder, okay, you know, is this is this a change that's going to be more than just a year, right? Yeah, right. And can Miami be a team that overtakes the ACC, or are we yep. going to see more of Pitt? And I know uh, with with Pickett, you know, obviously yep. he's he's a really good player, a big part of their success. But like, is this an opportunity for somebody else to rise up in that conference? And that's how I think if you are a program and you have the ability to take over that spot. Right now, this is when you have to pounce. Yeah, you got to go. You got to go, right? You got to put all your marbles in and be like, we're going to take over the ACC at this point because Clemson's down. You got to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, There are, uh, what is it? One, two, three, four Heisman invites this year. And it was one of those weird seasons where I feel like coming down to the wire, we still were just questioning, okay, who really is going to, be worthy of winning this. And I'm curious to get your opinion. So we've got Alabama's Bryce Young, Ohio State's CJ uh, Stroud. We've got Kenny Pickett, like you just mentioned from Pitt. And then um, Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan, who is the, the defensive player representing this group, which is always great uh, to mix that up a little bit. But I mean, is there to you a clear cut Heisman winner? I mean, I think everybody is is betting on Bryce Young at this point. Yeah, Bryce Young's probably going to win it. And I mm-hmm. I I've got mixed feelings on this. What I what I saw out of him against Georgia, I think was the Heisman moment. Yes. You know, he was he was very good. He used his legs. He obviously was able to to hit some crazy passes and and he's got really good receivers that help him out with that. Mm-hmm. The week before against Auburn, the dude threw a ton of passes and he had a ton of incompletions. So it just you know, it wasn't a very impressive performance to me. Um, when I look at C.J. Stroud, I think two things hurt him 
is the two losses. Yeah. Because I feel like part of this is, you know, it's typically a player who's on a playoff team, or at least they're they're on a team that won a conference championship. Ohio State didn't do that. And then his stats aren't going to compare to Bryce Young or Kenny Pickett because the dude was hardly playing in games. He missed a whole game due to injury. And, yeah. you know, there was a, a six-game stretch through the middle of the season where he played two quarters in each of those games. So he basically has four less games, the six games where he only played a half a game, which is three games, and then the one game he totally missed. He had four less games of tape, essentially, than most of these other guys would have out there. And his stats were still wild. But yeah. um, his Heisman moment came against Michigan State. It didn't come against Michigan, even though he was really good in that game through for almost 400 yards there. Like – I, I feel like it should be a tighter race between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. It's just not. I know. Kenny Pickett has been very, very impressive. Um, but the conference championship game, I don't think, was a Heisman moment for him. No. It was it was a good performance, but, you know, he had the the, the fake slide. That I was, was gonna say, I love probably that. the most notable play. But outside of that, it wasn't yeah. anything that was truly no, turning right. heads. And then for Aiden Hutchinson, I think it's a great honor for him to be there. I don't think anybody has the – the no. stones to actually no. give a um, a defensive player the trophy. And for him, it's been a great build um, coming back off an of injury and coming onto a defense that had a uh, just a poor outlook because it was a, a whole new look defense and they weren't very good last year. Um, he was he was aided and abetted at times by um, David Ojabo, who's the other pass rusher. And so he faced a lot of one-on-one blocks, which he won a ton of them. Um, the dude is, he's got really good physical gifts. He's got really good traits. And he's one of the best shit talkers in the Big Ten because he talks shit to me um, on the really? post-game show after That's the Big awesome. Ten championship. Um, you know, so it, I've, I've got nothing but respect for the young man. And I think he, he uh, I think this this year he showed everybody that he is the best defensive player in the country. He's worthy of a number one overall pick. Um, but I, I just feel like this award is a quarterback award. And even with the stellar season that he had, or you can go back a couple years to the season Chase Young had, where mm-hmm. I feel like he probably should have won the damn thing. There's I know. not a guy on defense who's going to win it because people don't have the, the courage to do it. I know. That's what's always tough. And I've always had this conversation with you about the Heisman. It's kind of like the MVP in the National Football League, too. It's yeah. just kind of like it's a quarterback award. And and I get it. Usually the quarterback is is the most valuable part of that team, but not always. And I, well, I, again, I, I it's hard for me to look at these, you know, invites and say a clear cut like that is the Heisman winner. And I think so, it's just easy and lazy for us to say Bryce Young just because he went to Alabama. He's on the national stage always. He's been talked about, you know, since the beginning of the season. And I'm not saying he didn't do some really good things. I think it's the lasting moment that lasts in the minds of people though, that gets these guys to the top in terms of, you know, the number one percentage of votes. And that's what he did. Yeah. It's interesting because I was talking to somebody who I know that has a Heisman vote and he told me that he doesn't think Aiden Hutchinson should win the Heisman because somebody playing his position can't have the impact on the game that a quarterback could have. And so I, I told him, I said, if that's the mentality, then it's just a flawed voting system. It's a flawed award. Um, you know, then you should, we should literally just make it the award for the, the best quarterback and one of the best teams in the country and call it a freaking day. If, mm-hmm. if that's truly how we feel, 
Um, because I, I do believe that he, I do believe that it's true that a defensive end cannot have the impact that a quarterback can, but I can also still say that's one of the best players in the country. Yep. And so people are looking at the impact. Are you a voter for this award? No, I wish I was. Uh, my boss is, and actually he texts me with like questions on what he, you know, he was like, what is your input? So he actually did ask me my input. Um, but I'm not a voter. I feel like I should be at this point. I mean, I've yeah. literally been everywhere in college football, but yeah. Yep. I don't have a vote for that. I um, know that. That's what yeah. I, we've talked about this before. Yeah, where I'm we just have. like shocked. It's, you know? it's everybody I work with has a vote for it too at BTN, which is absolutely nuts. I guess they're still um, hazing me. Um, but <laughs> so I, I was asked for input by, by some of the, the folks I work with that have votes. And then I, I'm not a voter for the freaking all conference awards either, which is absolutely wild. Like I'm literally that like conference nuts. media and I don't have a vote for that either. So. Jeez. I know. Well, I, we, we need to get you on there first and foremost. Like this is something where I keep talking to you about this. Cause I was at, I was an AP voter for uh, hoops a couple years back. You remember that. Yep. But um, some of the people that get votes, sometimes I question. Yeah, I mean, the folks who I work with that get votes, I think are all knowledgeable. But then there are other media people who are just like total slaps that have votes. And I'm like, oh, God. Right. Or that have been in like the business a year or two, like who haven't like had a good grasp of like what's going on around the entire country, not just in the SEC. Right. Right. Yeah. So I need to talk to whoever makes those decisions. I know. I just, we need to have a meeting in New York. Yeah, I would, we would put a lot of thought into it too. That's, the I issue. know that's a thing. Cause like, it, it's like, we talk, first of all, you talk about it every day, all day. I, I spend a good majority of my weeks during the college football season, watching all sorts of games and then talking about it with you on this podcast. Yeah. It's a shame. And so, I just, I feel like I know, I know a couple of people and, and so it doesn't sound like I'm throwing anybody I work with under the bus. These are not folks right. that I work with. These no, are just no, right. media I, types that I, I know. Get, yes. That yeah. like they don't put the they don't no. put the effort into no. the awards at the end of the year. Nope. The all conference awards, they don't put the effort into the Heisman voting. Yep. And it's just like, come on, guys. Cause it matters for the guys who it are does. a part of it. It absolutely does. And if you're picked to be one of those people, you should always take it serious in my opinion, and put the effort in. So, um, okay. Well, oh, real quick. I did want to touch on this because we did speak about this before. The transfer portal is going to be interesting yeah. um, in the next couple of months, just seeing the movement that will happen. Um, do you feel like this could be one of the biggest seasons in terms of entering the transfer portal? Cause I've already seen names left and right. Yeah. I mean, it's ramping up right now. There's like 120 kids yeah. from the, the start of the month or whatever yeah. that have jumped into the portal already. And a um, couple of kids notably from Ohio state that have already jumped in. I'm not exactly sure that there weren't, there won't be more names that enter the portal. Um, and it's, it's really, it's interesting because well, for two reasons is number one, there was a stat somewhere that I found that said like, you know, almost 40% of these kids aren't going to find a new home. Dang. And so that means Dang. not only are they not going to be playing like division one football, but also like they're not going to be going to school, which is oh, tough. God. Um, but the other thing that also happens now is there's this uh, shift in leverage from 
from coaches to players to where now if there's a guy who you feel like might be disgruntled, but you're not exactly done with him, you think that he can be a valuable member of your team, you might have to placate that athlete a little bit. And you might have to bend on some of your non-negotiables within your program to keep an athlete around if you feel like that person's that valuable to your program. And it's just really unique to see. So I'm curious, number one, um, at who ends up where player wise, I'm curious, number two, at how coaching staffs handle their current rosters and, and guys who may want to leave. And then number three, I'm, I'm very, very curious at the recruiting philosophy for college programs moving forward, where it's going to have to be a hybrid of high school recruiting and portal recruiting. And those two things are going to have to be um, very carefully calculated so they work out well. Yeah, no, you're right. I think it, the, the scary thing about the portal, like you were saying, is while I think it's fair to, to give these players the right to transfer, I think, and we talked about this, I want to say a couple months ago, Joshua, we talked about starting to get these players the, the, the correct information about how to make decisions because yeah. it can get really, really scary now if these if they're just looking at it as we just don't want to tough it out or we just don't want to put in the extra effort, so we're just going to transfer. And then you've got guys just sitting around with no jobs and no, and they're not going to school, like you mentioned. And that can get tricky. So, yeah, I mean that's 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 the real tricky part about it. And and I'm not exactly sure that there are folks counseling these kids through it. And I'm not exactly sure that anybody is is really at this point qualified to counsel them through it because it's such a new thing. Um, but. I I would hope that coaches are being as forthcoming as possible. Yeah. And while also maintaining their standards too, because I also, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing for coaches to um, all of a sudden change their rules to keep a guy, because that's not how the real world works. Like your boss doesn't change it up because you say you want to leave. Like they either wanted you to begin with or they didn't. And you have to follow the standards that they set. Yes. And look, Again, coaches are free to do what they want and to leave a program when they want. And and I think that you have to take that into account where these players should be given one opportunity. But they have to keep in mind that, like, you've got a tough situations out sometimes. You've got to battle for positions sometimes. You've got to work hard. And I don't want them to lose that. I don't want our athletes nowadays to lose that kind of mentality. Cause that's what at least I was brought up with was like, yep. you, you grind to get what you want and you don't always just think it's going to be greener on the other side, the grass. Like that's, that's where I got right? successful. Exactly. I, mean, you know, exactly. I, I, I had to do a lot of growing up and I had to do a lot of getting tough and I had to yes. um, do a lot of swallowing my pride as well. Yes, exactly. So just, I just want these kids to have some honest, good advice, just maybe, to think about it before entering a transfer portal just because they're frustrated or something like that. There's reasons for you to enter a transfer portal and that's why it's there, but it's got to be the right decision. So, yeah, I think all this stuff kind of works itself out in the next few years, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how it takes shape. I agree. Well, that was a interesting, fun, and I hope factual, uh, episode of press pass for you listeners out there again we really appreciate you guys listening each and every week 
Joshua, where can they go to find you on social media? You've been very active on there lately. Yeah, you know, I, I, this is my time of the year. You know, this is where I really shine on the this old This is where you shine. Yeah. Um, you can find me at RIP underscore J-E-P. Any football questions, throw them at your boy. Yes. You can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV. Um, always active on there as well. Joshua, uh, what do you got assignment-wise now that you are – obviously, we're entering bowl season. You mentioned going to the Rose Bowl. So are you kind of – low key here for a couple weeks or yeah i'm doing some fill-in work on uh, 97.1 the fan in columbus because okay. all the big time guys are taking their vacation and so they get a, yeah. a lowly uh media guy like me to come in and spend some time where nobody else wants to be in the <laughs> studio um and yeah I'm, you know I, i've got some things that I'm, I'm trying to get kind of shored up that I'll, I'll let you in on when we're done here kayla but it's it's been a phenomenal year for me just almost in review here since we're getting toward the end of it. Um, I know that we've talked about this offline, but I feel like I've grown a ton as a broadcaster, as an interviewer, as a uh, whatever it is. I feel the same thing out of you. And we've had discussions about your growth and, and yeah. what you're preparing yourself to do. And it's just been a ton of fun and we appreciate everybody who participates with us. Yeah. I really look forward to this each and every week chatting with you, Joshua, because we, we, I feel like have good conversation and bring some really important things to light and things sometimes need to be said that are a little more honest and out there. And we're not afraid to do it here on press pass. So if you're loving college football and you want a little bit of transparency and some different things in terms of where we go with this podcast, make sure to subscribe, give us a rate and review. And always we appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll be back here next week. Have a great weekend.